The text for this morning's worship service is, as I said, from 1 Kings 17, the verses 7 through 16, which we read together. After the sermon, we will respond with singing, singing from Psalm 1, Psalm 33, the stanzas 1, 3, 5, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, as you know from the last time we dealt with Elijah, his life is in danger. King Ahab wants Elijah dead. He sees him as a big troublemaker. He blames Elijah for stirring up the Lord's anger against him and for the fact that a severe drought has come over the land. In this, King Ahab was especially urged on by his wife, Jezebel. You will remember that Jezebel was originally from Phoenicia. King Ahab had married her for political purposes. For Ahab, following in the steps of his wicked father, King Omri, wanted to have a close association with the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians were a seafaring nation and had influence and power all over the world of that day. And Ahab was interested in earthly power. That is why he also had himself built a beautiful palace, and that is why he lived in the lap of luxury. He did not see anything wrong with worshipping Baal, and even promoted it along with all its evil practices. But then Elijah comes along and spoils it all. He has the audacity to come knocking on the palace door, and to tell Ahab that there will be a severe drought in the next few years, which is not going to end except at his word. After this, the Lord tells Elijah to go to the Kareth Ravine, where he will be safe. The Lord promises him that he will more than adequately take care of him there, for the Lord tells him that he will drink from the brook and that the ravens will feed him. He will not lack anything. And indeed, the Lord miraculously looked after Elijah in the Kareth Ravine. Twice every day, the Lord sent the ravens to provide him with bread and meat. Elijah lacked nothing for the sustenance of life. He had his daily bread and he could drink from the brook. And Elijah was satisfied with that. But at a certain point, the brook dries up. We are not told why the brook dried up. It could be that it was because of the drought. It could, also, it could also be that the brook always dried up in the summer. One thing is for sure, the Lord God did not tell Elijah to leave from there because there was no longer any water in the brook. The Lord can provide water from a rock and certainly could have caused the water to continue to flow in the brook. And then the Lord tells him to leave there and to go to Zarephath of Sidon. Zarephath lies in enemy territory in Phoenicia. Phoenicia is the country where Jezebel comes from. Why would the Lord God tell him to go there? Why did he not tell him to seek a hiding place somewhere in Israel? As we know from the next chapter, that is how 100 prophets of the Lord kept out of Ahab's reach 
For Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace and who was a devout believer in the Lord, hid them in caves and supplied them with food and water. Elijah would not necessarily have to join those 100 prophets, but surely the Lord God could find a place for him somewhere safe in Israel. We know from 1 Kings 19 verse 18 that there were still 7,000 people who did not bow down to worship Baal, who continued to trust in the Lord. And one of those would have loved to keep Elijah out of the hands of Ahab. Surely the Lord God could have found a widow in Israel to keep him safe. But the Lord God sends him outside of the country to a widow belonging to a heathen nation. Why would the Lord God do that? Why would he pass Israel by? Well, as we will see, it's a warning. It's a message. It's a message not just to Israel of that day, but a message to all of God's people for all time. It's a message for the whole church, and therefore also to you and to me. Summarize the text as follows. The Lord sends Elijah to Zarephath as a warning to his covenant people. And then we will see three things. First of all, Elijah's faith. Secondly, the widow's obedience. And finally, the Lord's grace. The trip from the Kerith Ravine to Zarephath took Elijah right through the midst of Israel. As I said, Zarephath is in Phoenician territory and was located along the coast between the cities of Tyre and Sidon. It is north of the modern city of Haifa, and so in the area of what is now Lebanese territory. And therefore, Elijah had to travel northwest from the Jordan, east of Jerusalem, through the midst of Israel into Phoenician territory, in the west, all the way up to the coast, to the north. Now, the NIV refers to Zarephath of Sidon. Other translations state that Zarephath belongs to Sidon. That, no doubt, is a more correct translation. Sidon was one of the most influential cities of the Phoenicians. And therefore, the Phoenicians are also known as the Sidonians. And Zarephath was located close to Sidon. It's a satellite city. The Bible does not tell us about Elijah's trip as such. But no doubt, Elijah will have seen how the land was already affected by the drought. The crops were withering in the fields, and the people were obviously suffering because of the lack of water. Joel's prophecy describes what such a calamity would look like. He says in chapter 1, verse 9 through 12, Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grief for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. 
Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. The drought affected everyone, including the 7,000 who were still faithful. However, for those faithful, it was not a punishment. For them, it was a reminder that they are dependent on the Lord. It was a reminder to them to continue to trust in him. And as a believer, you are not anxious about what happens here in this life. But you expect the Lord God to take care of you and to continue to care of you even in times of hardship. At least that's the way it should be. Look at how Job reacted when everything was taken away from him. He continued to trust in the Lord. Although he suffered much and got little or no support from his friends and even his wife, he continued to expect his blessings from God alone. For he knew that only the Lord can provide for him. And in the end, Job was not disappointed, was he? For the rest of the people of Israel, however, the drought served as a punishment. It served to make them realize that they were expecting their blessings from the wrong source. They were expecting it from heathen gods, who are no gods at all, except in the imaginations of man. For why do you think that those people, that the Israelites, God's covenant people, why do you think they wanted to serve the Baals? Well, because in this way, they curried favor with the other nations around them. Through trade and military alliances, they sought to gain prosperity. That was uppermost in their minds. Service to God was only secondary. Israel was interested in material things. And that is why the drought was also such a punishment for them. For those very things that they loved so much were taken away from them. But when you are a believer, then material well-being is always secondary. That's not what motivates you in life. To a believer, physical well-being is only a means to an end. You need food and drink so that you can live your life to the praise of God's glory. You need it to keep alive and to be able to serve the Lord your God. And that is why we also toil and labor, not only in order to serve the Lord, but also in order to be able to serve our families. We don't work so that we can enrich ourselves, but so that we can serve God and so that we can serve others. Israel had lost sight of that. She no longer lived out of the covenant promises of God. For the Lord had promised to look after them as long as they were willing to serve him. The people, however, wanted it the other way around. They would only serve him if their bellies were full and only if they were comfortable. Their own well-being was more important than anything else. How different that was from the way that Elijah served the Lord. When he was told to go to Zarephath, he obeys. He knows that the Lord God will take care of him all the way. We do not know how Elijah was sustained during his trip, but we can be sure that the Lord made sure that he did not lack anything during his travels to Zarephath. Elijah's obedience and faith was an example to the rest of God's people. 
the Lord God had chosen him and equipped him to be a prophet. And that means that he had to be a carrier of God's word. He had to proclaim God's word, not only by his words, but also by his actions. Ultimately, that's also the task of every believer. That is also your task, and that is my task. For the Lord also gives you and me the office of prophet, priest, and king. He has chosen us. That's a great privilege. And he chooses us not because we have anything more to offer than anyone else. No, the Lord God chooses us out of his own good pleasure. He has made us part of God's covenant community. It's all his doing. But God's covenant community consists of those people who also respond to him and who acknowledge him by being obedient. Don't forget that the Lord God can choose anybody. And that's what he wants to show to his people Israel. For he chooses a woman from a heathen nation to bring glory to his name. He chooses a widow in Phoenicia to be an instrument in his hand to sustain Elijah and thereby to sustain his word through him, the word that Elijah spoke against Ahab and against the disobedient people of Israel. And that brings us to the second point, namely the obedience of the widow. The Lord told him that he commanded a widow in that place to supply him with food. The Lord does not tell him how he will be able to identify her. He does not give him a name or an address. Elijah has to go on faith. He has to trust that somehow the Lord God will show him who she is. In that he is also totally dependent on the Lord. He cannot go into that country full of strangers asking about widows. Stopping people on the streets and asking them, Excuse me, can you tell me where I can find the widow who will provide for me with food and drink during the drought, as the Lord, the God of Israel, has told me? He would be laughed out of the country. No, he has to rely on the Lord to reveal to him the identity of the widow. When Elijah came to the town gate of Zarephath, his attention is drawn to a woman gathering sticks. From her clothing, he recognized her as a widow. He does not know whether or not she is the one chosen to supply him with food and drink. And so he asks her if she would give him a little water in a jar so that he could have a drink. This was not an unusual request. Strangers would not know where to get water from and would need help from the local citizens. The conventions of the day would require that such hospitality be extended. And so the widow does not hesitate to fulfill this request. That wasn't hard for her to do either. There is still water in the well. But the next request is not as easy to grant. For he also asks her to bring some bread. No doubt Elijah was aware that this would require great sacrifice on her part. When he went over the border of Phoenicia, he would have noticed that the drought also extended to that country. And he will also have noticed that the widow in front of him was not a rich woman, far from it. He found out how poor she was from her answer. She tells him that she only has a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, but that's all. 
she has no other food. As a matter of fact, she tells him that this is the last meal she will be able to provide for herself and her son. If she doesn't get any more food, she and her son will starve to death. Elijah, however, does not take no for an answer. He tells her not to be afraid to go home and to make a small cake of bread and that she then is to bring that to him. That is all the food that that widow has. Elijah is asking a great deal from her. He is asking her for her last meal. And it is clear that he is not satisfied with anything less. It is no exaggeration to say that he is asking her for everything, including her life and the life of her son. For if she and her son don't eat, they will die. What right does he have to make such a demand? Well, Elijah has no choice in the matter because that's what the Lord God told him to do. He told him to find a widow to provide for him. If she is the one, then she will also do as he tells her. Elijah could also tell her with confidence that if she provided him with her last meal, that then nevertheless there would be enough left for her and her son. The Lord will see to it that the flour will not be used up and that a jug of oil will not run dry. Now then, to make such a request and to comply with such a request would require a strong faith. Elijah himself will have to be fully convinced in his own mind that the Lord will take care of him and and of their son in such a miraculous way. And he is. He has seen and experienced God's faithfulness throughout his life. And he does not doubt that God will indeed do what he said he would do. But for this widow, it's a different story. She does not really know who the Lord is. She lives in a country that is in the grip of Satan more than any other country of that day. And now she is asked to do something because a prophet of the God of Israel asks her to. Why would she do that? And yet we see miraculously that she does obey. I say miraculously because this was clearly not of her own doing. It's the Lord's doing. For he told Elijah that he is the one who would choose a widow to supply him with food. He is the one who would prepare her heart to be obedient. He selected her of all people as his instrument. We come to the third point. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, that's how the Lord works. He is the one who makes us, who makes you and me special. He is the one who chooses us to have faith and to bring glory to his name. We never have anything to boast of. The nation Israel could not do that either. The Lord God could have chosen any other nation. He didn't. For the one nation was not any more special than the other. They're all equally undeserving of God's grace. But as it is, he chose Israel. But as soon as he did that, Israel did become special. And then she became the apple of his eye even. And now the same thing is true of this widow. As soon as he singled her out to do his bidding, she became special. 
The Lord God used her to make her a blessing to Elijah and to the people of Israel. But she too has nothing to boast of, nor do any of us. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 9 verse 16. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. But now let's go back to the original question in the introduction to this sermon. Why do you think that the Lord God bypassed all the widows in Israel and went to one of the most wicked nations on earth and found a widow there? Why not to Israel itself? Well, the Lord Jesus makes that clear to us. He says in Luke 4, verse 25 through 26, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. The Lord Jesus spoke these words to his own people in his own hometown. For they were about to reject him. They wanted nothing to do with him. And so he reminds them if they do not relish in their special status, that then he would go elsewhere. If they do not want him, others will. And that is the message that the Lord God wanted to go out to the Israelites during Elijah's days. Israel had been specially chosen by God as his people. But Israel did not want him. They did not want to serve him. They wanted to serve the Baals. And it is for that reason that the Lord God sent Elijah to the Phoenicians. He will preserve his prophet and therefore he will preserve his word there in that heathen country. By making him go to a widow amongst the Sidonians, the Lord God sends a very powerful message. But this is not just a message for Israel of that day. It is a message for the church throughout all ages. It is also a message for the church today. It is a message for you and for me. For the Lord God gives us a warning. He warns us that if we take our special status for granted, that then the Lord God will go elsewhere. Oh, sure, he will give us warnings and plead with us, just as he did to Israel. But if we do not heed his voice, if we do not heed his voice, then in the end he will reject us. He says that to the church, and he says that also to the individual believers. And brothers and sisters, and that includes you boys and girls and teenagers and young people, the Lord God has very much privilege to you. Most of you come from Christian families, from families that take God's word and his covenant seriously. And that is why you are baptized as a child, to indicate that you belong. And that God's promises belong to you. The promises of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And that's a wonderful thing. But if you take your privileged position for granted. If you are going to live like the world. And set the same priorities as the world. Then the time will come if you persist in such behavior. That then the Lord God will take your privileged position away from you. He will go elsewhere. He will send his Holy Spirit into the hearts of those who are joyful recipients of God's grace and who are thankful for what God has done. 
But when you trust in the Lord and live out of the promises of God and rejoice in the wonderful position that the Lord God has given you as part of his covenant people, then you will also reap wonderful rewards. Look at how the Lord God blessed the widow and her son. Every day there was enough food for Elijah and the woman and her family. The jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run, jar, did not run dry. The widow gave everything that she had. She was even willing to risk her own life and the life of her son. She first gave and then she received. You see, she had her priorities right. And in that sense, she was truly a child of God. For look at what the Lord Jesus did. He totally sacrificed himself. The Lord Jesus, he gave everything that he had. He emptied himself of the glory that he had with his Father in heaven, and he became a man. And if that was not enough, he also gave his very life. But look at the, reward, at the reward that he received. He was restored to his former glory. And as it says in Philippians 2, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The Lord blesses you when you have your priorities right. He blesses you when you make him number one in your life. And you see, the Lord God, he also demands everything from you and from me. He also demands your life. You are a priest. You are to sacrifice yourself to him. And that means that everything you have, you recognize, is first of all from God. It belongs to him. And you set your priorities right. You're also able to give before you receive. Because it is only when you give that you will receive. We do not serve him so that we can gather up treasures for ourselves. But we serve him in order to glorify his name. And if that is your aim, then the Lord God will also bless you. Whether you are poor or rich. For the believer knows that there is nothing more important than being a child of God. For he gives you an abundance of blessings, spiritual blessings, eternal blessings, wonderful blessings. Amen.